Hey there, this is Jay from Filmstrip dropping in to let you know you're about to hear a classic episode from our archives. Some of these shows were produced before we called the show Filmstrip Podcast, before we used popcorn ratings, uh, had the standard intro song from Frozen Lake 121, or really even knew what we were doing recording and editing the show. However, there's a lot of fun in them, and we hope you enjoy. Just wanted to let you know in case you noticed the differences. Now, on to the show. Welcome to Filmstrip. I'm Jay. I'm Anna. And I'm Brian. We're here to talk about Candyman, the David Klein story, a documentary featuring David Klein and Burt Klein, and a special appearance by Weird Al Yankovic, produced by Lone Pine and Picnic Productions. This is a 2010 documentary that was produced by Costa Boats, Jennifer Cardin Klein, Burt Klein, and directed by Costa Boats. Now, this is a different take for Filmstrip. It's our first documentary review, so I want to start by asking both of you you know, what do you think of documentaries in general? Anna, let's start with you. Well, um, we watch them all the time, and in my Disney geekdom, they're always they're usually always about Walt Disney or Imagineers or something like that. Me and my husband do watch them, and we actually do watch a lot because we're both finance people and have business degrees, and we but we watch a lot about kind of how business strategy and how people have kind of like this where they come up, they start their business and they strategize and they get to wherever they are. We do watch a lot of those because we find them very interesting. Brian? Uh, I don't watch a lot of documentary films, but I like watching a lot of documentaries on TV. So I don't go out of my way to see them, but I do enjoy most of them. Depends on the topic, obviously, but I'll watch a lot of documentary here and there. I'm a big documentary fan. I like documentary films. I seek them out when I have time to watch such things on things like Hulu and you know other places, the History Channel and all the Discovery Channel, all that stuff. And then I'll even watch them on television too. I really like all the docu crime drama things, Dateline, NBC. And, oh, those are awesome. Yeah, CBS, Forty Eight Hours Mystery. I was home on my maternity leave, and instead of watching soap operas, I watched American Justice and City Confidential. Those are so interesting. I blame all of because I grew up on the Unsolved Mysteries with Robert yeah, Stack, I and so I, I watched all that kind of stuff. I really dig all that kind of stuff, but I don't usually see documentaries when they're brand new. I tend to catch documentary films after they've been out for a while, and then I hear about them or read about them, and then I'll try to find them. This one landed on our door because the producers of this film contacted Continuous Play Podcast, our umbrella company here, if you will, and asked us to review this. And so we decided, well, if you know, we're going to do this, all three of us need to be on this podcast. Of course, folks, you, you know Brian from primarily The Art of Sling, our Buffy the Vampire Slayer retrospective, though he's been appearing on a lot 
lot more of the film strip films. And then, of course, you know, Anna and I from all the film strip movie reviews and then more recently the film strip sessions general movie talk podcast. So we decided to do this. We said, well, you know, let's take a look at this thing. And this is going to be a little bit of a different take for us. So we're not going to necessarily walk through the plot piece by piece because it, it doesn't really work that way. But I want to tell you just a, a real brief plot summary. This is from the, the website of the film. And this will all be posted on our website at continuousplaypodcast.com so you can read up on the film if you want. But Candyman tells the amazing true story of David Klein, an eccentric candy inventor from Los Angeles who came up with the concept of the Jelly Belly Jelly Bean. These colorful beans became a pop culture phenomenon, revolutionized the candy industry, and were personally endorsed by then-President Ronald Reagan. However, David's eccentric personality and peculiar sense of business led him to leave the Jelly Belly just as it was about to explode and grow into a billion-dollar enterprise. So is there room for eccentric genius in the modern corporate world? This film tells Klein's story, and it's really all about that. So I want to start this just by asking both of you, did either of you know the story of the Jelly Belly? Ever hear of this guy before we watch this? No, I had not. And in fact, when you brought this up to me, I believe I asked, I thought, I think you said Jelly Bean. And I asked, well, is it a Jelly Bean or is it a Jelly Belly? Because, you know, there's a big difference between a regular Jelly Bean and a Jelly Belly because Jelly Bellies are so good and regular Jelly Beans just are kind of boring compared to them. Agreed. And, in my in my humble opinion, opinion, but um, no, I had I had never known the story of what of I, you know I just thought it was something a candy company thought of to make money. That's as far as I knew. That's what it was. I didn't know it was a whole it was a whole sto- it had this whole backstory to it, which was really kind of interesting. I didn't know anything about it either, actually. But uh, I'll tell you this much. My oldest son is a huge fan of the Jelly Belly. He eats them all the time. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Are your kids fans, Anna? No, not so much. Because I'm. It, it's a long story. i got one right now on a health kick, which is good. And I've got another one that's just stuffing her mouth worth of every junk you can possibly find. So I've got one extreme to another right now. So, <laughs> so the jelly bean's not popular. Though. I I had no idea about this either. Didn't know anything about it. Never even heard of David Klein. Would have never known this had the filmmakers not brought this to our attention. And i got to tell you, it was a really interesting story, I thought. It, that's what I want to ask you next. What did you just think of the documentary of itself, the subject matter? Was it interesting? Did it engage you? I thought it was. I thought it, I really, I really liked the presentation and the way they presented it. I thought, I thought it was interesting. I don't know if I say engaging, but I definitely thought it was interesting. It was definitely something I would be, I was interested in learning and knowing more about. I felt the same way. I thought it was actually very engaging. I thought, uh, I, Normally, we'll take breaks when I'm watching movies to go do stuff. But I watched this one all the way through, and I thought it was actually fun and entertaining to watch and listen to. And I thought they presented it pretty well. It was different. The only weird thing I thought was having Weird Al Yankovic in it. Yeah, Yeah, I thought that was kind of weird, too. Well, let's talk about that for a minute. Because, you know, he's featured on the box. It's a special appearance by Weird Al Yankovic. And he's in... I'd say much, you know, less than five minutes of this, and it's a 76-minute film, and he's not in it much. He kind of does a testimonial, I guess you'd say, of how great Jelly Belly <laughs> is, but I don't, I didn't really get what his role is. I wasn't clear on what his role is was in this. Were, were either of you? No, not really. I thought, 
thought he was just in it because he's not doing much right now. But <laughs> I mean, I, and I, I don't passed away, so there's not much left to do. I, and I love, I actually do love Weird Al, and I think he's it's especially a lot of his early stuff, like what's it, Eat It or Fat yeah. or what. You know, I think and the Amish Paradise thing and stuff. I think those are hilarious, <laughs> and I love. I love Weird Al. I think he he's right up my alley. But I was I'm like you. They didn't. I didn't know if he was like a friend of the Klein family. If he was like this huge lover of jelly bell of jelly bellies and like you know sometimes you get like they were talking about Ronald Reagan in the thing. If it was something like that, like he's always loved these jelly bellies and he. And I, if I wish that's one thing I wish they'd done has been a little more specific or if it really was like he had nothing to do and he was out on the street, like basically jaywalking, <laughs> like on the Tonight show. And they're like, hey, what do you think of Jelly Bellies? And he goes into like a little routine or something. I'm, I would think they had to get some permission from his people to feature him in the credits the way they do. And I mean, it's, it's all over the promotional material. Like it really is. I'm not complaining about it. I just found it odd because he is in so little of it. Like I'm watching this and I'm waiting for him to show up and then he pops on screen and then he's gone. And I'm like, what, what is that it? Is that all I get? And then they go back to him later. But I, I really wanted to see more of weird Al if he was going to be also starring, you know what I mean? I did, I did too. I agree. I just think that they did a poor job explaining of why he was there. That's all. I mean, there was no reason for him to be there. He did not, nothing to add to any of the story. He was just popping in to say some quip and then leaves. It was dumb. It was a little off. It just was odd. What about the story itself? The, the basic story is, you know, Klein's this, for lack of a better way of saying it, the way they describe him, he's this eccentric guy and he likes you know candy and candy creations and doing things that make people happy he almost sounds like a character you're writing for a spec script or something and that's what he likes to do and he comes up with these ideas and then seems to walk away from them right as they're about to flourish and that seems like a repeating cycle in his life and you know a lot of this is it's produced by his son and his daughter-in-law who are animators for disney um and so i know you get a kick out of that Yay. <laughs> yeah i saw the di- uh like the part where he went to Disney World and he bought all the balloons and I think he handed them out to the kids. Yeah, this guy. I seems, that was awesome. It seems like one of these characters Disney would create almost. Mm-hmm. He seems like somebody out of a Disney script, and and I did like the way they presented that, even though I couldn't tell if they were trying to make us feel sorry for him that he'd given away the you know millions and billions of you know his his empire before it really grew, or if it's this is somebody that we can admire because. He has a soul, and he's not caught in the corporate culture. I mean, how did y'all read it? I read it as kind of a what not to do. I think, I mean, some people are, you know, if you watch The Apprentice, some people are cut out for this, and some people aren't. And I think maybe he was too idealistic to be cut out. But what just got me about the whole story is that he did, he had, not only did he have a great idea, he came up with these really kind of creative and good ways to like promote it and logistics and stuff like that. And that's his only drawback was who he partnered with the people. He, he was idealistic. The people he partnered with were type A sharks and that's his draw drawback. And I mean, he, cause as I'm watching it, 
And I'm thinking back to my strategic management class where basically they do, you, you do case studies. And I think most every strategic management class is like that wherever you go. You do case studies of companies. And I thought this would be perfect for that, for that class to show that class or have them watch on their own because, because I mean, it's just, it's, just, I mean, he got the logistics. He got the hard part down. The only thing, it was just he partnered with the wrong people and he trusted the wrong people, in my opinion. I think the, I think the main thing to take out of this is, is two things. Number one, he was too nice of a guy to make it in the business world. In the business world, you have to be ruthless and you have to be aggressive and you have to, to you know, play the bad guy to get what you need to get out of things. And he couldn't do that. He was too nice. He gave half of his company to a guy because he felt bad about his health situation or whatever it was. But you can't you can't go about doing business that way. And that was the biggest problem he had is that he would give things away when he really shouldn't be doing that. And that's one thing. The other thing is you can't feel sorry for him. He was paid four million dollars in twenty thousand dollar a month payments for twenty years. The guy wasn't poor. He was living pretty well uh, by most people's standards. So, you know, just because his money's gone now or he floundered it or whatever he did with it that he doesn't have it anymore, I can't walk away from this movie feeling sorry for him because I think he's had more opportunity than than you and I are, are, will ever get. And I agree with that, too. Well, I'll say this, too. I don't think we're supposed to feel sorry for him. I think at times the, the documentary leaned toward that, and I felt that was a— I don't know that that was the right step because my whole thing was if they wanted this to maybe feel a little bit of sympathy for his son in particular and the fact that their relationship was a little strained for many years or whatever that was and that they, they didn't communicate as well, maybe didn't get each other. He didn't understand why his dad would, you know, give away, you know, all this stuff. And then he later came to realize that his dad was just this really nice guy who just he didn't it wasn't about the money for him it was about other people being happy other people having opportunities i could buy that i i just felt like at times they were trying to go toward the sympathy road now i'm with you brian and anna i don't think that's what we're supposed to feel i think we're supposed to watch this and see that some people in the world get all of it except the ruthless aggression part and that's why he doesn't follow through with it. This guy, to me, is the ultimate starter. He gets everything together to get it off the ground, then he hands it over to somebody else, the balloon thing, the popcorn thing, and then jelly bellies, all these you know different things he's had. And he even showed some of the ones that didn't work. They're all good ideas in concept. He's the conceptual guy. But in the long run, eh, he kind of struck me as a guy that would get bored with something over time and ultimately needed new challenges. So he just created his own in his life. But no, I don't think we're supposed to feel sorry for him at all. If anything, I think we're supposed to appreciate the continued idealism of somebody way into their 60s. That's true. And one thing I was going to say as you were saying that, you know, getting the concept is just is easier than running a business. Running a business is hard work, no matter what. Yeah, you think, you know, if you're us sitting here doing a podcast and you're like, if I just had that one idea, I could quit my job and I can enjoy what I'm doing. And that's not necessarily the case. And maybe that's what they were trying to show. Mm -hmm. I think that's a valid point, too. And I, I would agree with that statement. It, 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 you have to have the business acumen to get it off the ground. And if you have the idea but can't follow through on the business side, you're 
idea just goes nowhere or you give it to someone else and they run with it. And there's so much stuff you have to manage from, like I was saying, the logistics and the people to the money and stuff like that. It's hard work. It's just as hard as coming. You know, if you look, if if you've ran a business for 20 years, getting the concept was the easy part. Running it is probably the hard part. Very true. Very true. Is there anything in there? Well, before I get to that, how did you think about the pacing of this? I'll tell you both right now. I felt like this was a little long. It's 76 minutes, and I realize that's rather short for any feature length, and it's about average for most documentaries, uh, unless you're Michael Moore and you make these three-hour epics of bozoism, but that's another story for another day. I, I felt like it ran a little long. Like To me, there's there may have been 15 or 20 minutes of it I thought could have probably been cut if they were trying to get it on like A&E biography or something like that. You mm-hmm. know, It ran a little, little long for me. How did y'all feel about it? It was fast-paced but long, and what I mean was it seemed like as I'm watching it, the action is moving, but then I get to a point, and it's like, okay, I've been watching this for an hour, and they've only gone four years or something, and that kind of frustrated me. I'm like, good grief, if we're going to get to 2010, this is going to take forever, but um, I thought the, the like going step-by-step step was fast, and I'm thinking, and as I'm watching it, I'm thinking, um, I'm thinking, oh, this is going by really quick. And then they say they're like in 1976, and I'm like, what? I'm like, you didn't, you didn't move that far. So that was my problem with the pace. I, I agree with Jay. I think that it could have been cut down to an under 60 minute film and used uh, as something you would put on a television station like A&E or, or Discovery or, or whatever. Um, and it probably would have worked just as good. There's probably stuff in there that didn't need to be in there that could have been cut that weren't really prevalent to the story, you know, going back to the old uh, shop he had. And it's now some, I don't know, it looked like a, a gun shop or something. I don't remember what it was, but there's no need to go back there. I didn't think it wasn't relevant to the story. Yeah, I I think there's just some things they could have cut a little bit. But, you know, I'm sitting here complaining about it. They're telling a man's life story essentially in under an hour and 20 minutes. So, you know, but at any rate, I'm just talking about pacing wise. I did feel like it ran a little bit long, too. But in the same light. I can see why they put the things in that they put in. The stuff I would cut like that scene you're talking about, Brian, and just some of the other stuff where they seem to dwell on little tangential ideas, it felt tangential to me. It's like we, we chased that rabbit for a minute, now we come back. And I don't know if that's was written that way on purpose or if they wanted to do that to try to match sort of his personality. I mean, I kind of read it that way. Maybe it was going that way. I don't know. But I, I felt like it was a little long, too. Anything in there that you that was a real surprise to you, I'll tell you the thing I was most surprised about that I never caught a twinge of bitterness from David Klein at all. He came off as just a nice kind of quirky guy the whole time. And that's hard to do when somebody's picking through your life. Yeah, but that's why he couldn't succeed, too. You know, it kind of goes hand in hand. That's why he couldn't follow through. Good point. He kind of came across as someone who had business ADD. You know, like they go from thing to thing to thing to thing. Or you might know friends who say up and down they're going to start their own business. They're going to start their own business and they go from something like candy to travel to computers to something. You know, it's kind of like he had 
business ADD and just didn't have the focus is what is what I noticed. I, I, I didn't feel like he had anybody around him that focused him. He never had a partner. It seemed to me that really was a partner with him yeah. on this. You know, like you guys are, are my partners. We're all partners in this continuous play podcast universe that we've created here. And each of us brings something different to the table, but I always feel like it, it's such a, the reason this works and the reason we've done as many of these as we've done and have plans to do many more is because we each know kind of where we're going to go and we can kind of follow step with each other. Like I know what Brian's going to bring to the table. I know what Anna's going to do. And I know what I do when we put together a podcast series. And I just felt like this guy never had anybody that was on the same page as him. Did you, did y'all feel that Brian? Did you see that? Yeah, I, I like goes back again where he gave half of his company away to someone who knew nothing about the candy business altogether. He just did it to be a nice guy because he was going through some issues in life and needed some cash flow. Stupid decisions like that are what caused you to not succeed. Yeah. I, you know, did you ever think this is like the anti-Wall Street? Yeah. Well, Wall Street, the, the tagline is greed is good. This is kind of greed is not good. Yeah, yeah, this this really is the other side of it is that just doing coming up with good ideas and helping other people get started is where it's at, kids, you know, which is interesting, you know, cause especially considering the people I work around on a daily basis and stuff like that. I don't see a lot of people looking up to folks like David Klein. You know, he's not a role model that gets talked about, mainly because nobody really knows the story. Well, and let's face it, he could have been a billionaire had he held on to his share in the company, but he was still a millionaire. Yeah. <laughs> so it's not like he's poor. Yeah. No, I mean, that that's the thing is it's that you keep bringing that up and you're right, Brian. He's not destitute or anything. I, I don't know. Again, I, I wonder sometimes, and maybe that's the point of the documentary is that it's left open for us to interpret in different ways, but I, I kind of feel like that the point is that it's not for him. It wasn't, it was never about the money. It was about the happiness and the joy and the creativity and really making kids happy. I mean, this is a guy who gives out ice cream on his birthday. They make a big deal about that. He does that in the ending scene. It's really cute, you know, and it seems like the kind of thing that that's just what he gets off on. It's what he likes to do. Well, if that's what he likes to do, he needs to go to Disneyland and be a, a person on the jungle cruise. <laughs> so, I mean, not try to run a major national corporation. I know, and I know I probably sound like, but I mean, I'm sorry. It's how I'm trained. It, it's you just can't do this, and it, it's it's frustrating from my perspective looking in. So I mean, if that's what you want to do, go 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 run the Jungle Cruise and make those stupid jokes all the time at Disneyland, or go hey, work in the ice cream shop at Disneyland or something like that. You know, go go to Universal Studios and do something and. Being well, it's past the time, but you know, working the Harry Potter thing or something, do something like that if you want to make people happy, because that's where you belong. You don't, you don't belong trying to run a multi-billion-dollar corporation, even if it was a good idea and it was yours. You know, <laughs> get your money, go work at Disney World. So, I got nothing more. Well, I just wanted to point out, I just wanted to point out one thing that I thought was interesting in the whole thing, and that was the whole paper plate idea. Where <laughs> yeah, I thought use, that was pretty cool too. Yeah, he doesn't use any kind of writing pads or papers. He writes everything, every all of his ideas, his formulas, his everything is on paper plates, and he has boxes of these paper plates with notes and stuff on them. I thought that was very interesting. I actually thought it was a good idea. 
he had a good logic behind it. I actually thought it was a good idea because they're big to ride on. And like you were saying, they were, they're kind of bulky, so they don't fly right away. And you can toss them easily and stuff. I was like, hey, that's actually a pretty good idea. No, I know that's dead on point. And I think you've said it right. This guy doesn't belong running multi-million dollar companies. That's not what he does. He needs to be the idea guy. And I think that's what he is and what he always will be. That's kind of the feeling I got from this was that this was a guy that was going to keep creating ideas and then handing them off to somebody else his whole life. He's like, you know, Brian, we talked, you and I have talked about this offline before, but in your, your broadcasting career with the Daily Suplex and the Brian Thomas show talking about wrestling, we talk about wrestlers when they're at the end of the career, guys that really get a lot of respect are guys that help other young guys get over. And David Klein to me is a guy that helps young entrepreneurs get over that want to work in the candy industry. I think that's a valid statement. Well, guys, we're at the point of the podcast where we give our popcorn ratings for the film that we have been talking about. So, Anna, Brian, what are your popcorn ratings for Candyman, the David Klein story? Anna? I hate to give it a popcorn rating because it's a documentary. And to me, me personally, some people may do this. I don't think of documentaries like, oh, my God, let me get some popcorn and let me sit down and watch it. Even if it is about like Walt Disney or Disney World or something. But there's something that I watch all the time. But I do, I, I'm going to give it a large and this is uh, this is why I think for a couple of reasons, it's a story that I honestly believe needs to be told. I, I think it's a story that needs to get out there. People need to know David, David Klein. He's such an eccentric, likable person. And I think this is a story worth telling and a story that needs to get out there and people need to know. Secondly, on that note, like I've said before, is this needs to be in some kind of management class, whether it's like your first one or your last one. It needs to be in there, and it's something so complex and something that you can critique and you can look and you can say, okay, where did he go wrong and what would you have done differently? And I really think a lot of young people can learn from this. So I think that in that respect, I will give it a large popcorn. Brian? I'm going to give it a large popcorn too. I just think it's a fun film. I, I enjoyed watching it and I was glued to the computer watching it. And that's a good film in my opinion i i took away quite a bit from it and and it was just yeah i liked it so a large popcorn for me as well and i'm going to give this a large popcorn as well i think my colleagues have stated it quite well but i'll repeat one thing this is something that needs to be seen by anyone entering the world of business or likes to study business structure or business theory or just startups or if you're just interested in american entrepreneurs this is a great study subject for you. But even if you're just someone who likes candy um, and likes documentary films, this is a really good one. I mean, we've nitpicked a few little things here and there, and I still think it does run a tad long. But I'll tell you this, I was never bored with it. I just felt like there were some things that could be trimmed to make it a little tighter. But it's a good film. It's a lot of fun getting a lot of critical praise Right now, uh, this was the winner of the Director's Choice Award at the Rincon International Film Festival. It was a slam dance film festival selection. It's a selection of hot docs. I mean, this thing has been is getting the, the run as it should. So I highly recommend it. And I'll tell you, folks, if you go to the link underneath this podcast on our website, you'll see a link to IndiePix Films. They're the distributors of this, and they've got different ways you can see it. You can buy the DVD for 25 bucks. You can download it for 11 dollars or you can get it on demand for $3.99. It's highly 
highly recommended. Large popcorn for me, a good, good film and a good use of your time. Something good to watch with your kids, too. And I'm not saying little kids. Maybe, you know, kids that are getting up into middle school, high school, college age especially. It's a good discussion topic for the whole family, and it's a story that needs to be told. And I'm glad it was told. And I'm glad, Annie, you and Brian were along with me for this. Thank you for joining us on Filmstrip. You can check out our website, continuousplaypodcast.com, and search our archives for other reviews. And also be on the lookout for our general movie discussion podcast, Filmstrip Sessions. Until next time, for Anna and Brian, I'm Jay. Thanks for tuning in to Filmstrip from Continuous Play. Show!